Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Tuesday, March 14th. I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of RCP. I'm Carl Cannon, Washington Bureau Chief. Almost one week until spring, Tom. And just a few days until St. Paddy's Day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Tom, you speak about that. Three years ago, I was at the Dubliner, which is a, a venerable Irish bar on Capitol Hill. And they, on St. Patrick's Day, they took all, it's a bar and restaurant. They take all their furniture out. Place is packed from about noon till three in the morning. And, you know, third generation Clevelanders with their fake brogues show up and it's a great day. Well, three years ago, I had lunch there on a Friday afternoon. I said, you guys going to be open for St. Patrick's Day? Oh yeah, we'll be open as usual. And I remember walking out thinking they will not be open and they weren't. And and so now we're start we're marking time. It's three years since the pandemic, Tom. And now this year, for the first time in three years since 2020, people are starting to talk about this holiday and other things as though, you know, we're not in an, a pandemic, as though we're actually free to go places indoors. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we're being a little undercautious, but it's a, it's an interesting time because people people are coming out in a way that they didn't, you know. They have it. Well, they've, they've dyed the Chicago River green. And there is, unfortunately, the Archdiocese of Chicago has not given a meat-eating dispensation for this because it's Friday. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> actually, you, you, you are allowed to substitute. But sometimes they give a, a blanket dispensation to people, but apparently not this year. But I got a kick out of this this line from the Chicago Tribune said, quote, for many Irish Americans, the tradition of eating corned beef with cabbage, potatoes, and carrots on the oft raucous holiday is all but a sacrament. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, that's a different kind of sacrament. Tom, I was talking to my, my dad's wife, Mary Cannon, Mary Shinkwin was her maiden name. And I was telling her that when we were, I was a kid in California, we used to get fish sticks on Friday in the cafeteria. It was a heavily Catholic, Mexican-American and Irish neighborhood. You know, the schools would try to be sensitive. Public schools would serve fish sticks on Friday. And Mary's and Mary said, yeah, we did that too. And we were happy because it was the best meal we got. Our food was so bad. So, <laughs> all right. It's all well, relative. We've, we've started our podcast just totally going off on a tangent. Let's bring it back to <laughs> center here. And unfortunately, I thought you were going to use that California as a segue into the banks. I, I handed you a nice little transition. <laughs> So we got ourselves a, a, a bit of a banking crisis that ballooned out of really nowhere, at least, you know, there weren't a whole lot of signs that this was happening. And suddenly, Carl, uh, over the weekend, we had Silicon Valley Bank, we had Signature Bank that have basically closed, gone bankrupt. Um, Joe Biden spoke about it on Monday morning, was out there at, at 9 a.m. Eastern time to say a few words, didn't answer any questions, wandered off the stage without basically answering any questions to anybody. I'll bet the, the financial markets were so happy he didn't just start winging it, Tom. <laughs> well, the idea was to sort of instill confidence, but it doesn't seem to have worked, Carl, because Monday you had 20 different bank stocks taking a beating, basically, as the Wall Street Journal was saying, routed, despite these measures that have been taken by the Fed and the Treasury um, and these are, you know, First Republic was sort of the one who was the hardest hit, but but there were plenty of others who suffered. And I guess the question is, Carl, you know, how bad is this going to get? Because you know, reading stuff over the weekend when the markets were closed and, you know, people were saying, look, the administration has a chance to make this right and stave off a, you know, a real crisis and a run on banks and before Asia opens. 
uh, it doesn't look like they were able to do that fully. And I guess the question is, um, you know, how bad is it going to get? Well, y- y- look, you and I don't know. And, and this is, and people who have an opinion on it are, are shorting stocks and, <laughs> and risking their fortunes one way or the other. But for, look, what you and I are, are, are competent to talk about, Tom, is the politics of this. And what the president did is what you want the pre- any president to do is speak, <laughs> try and reassure the public and take measures to control the, the, the bleeding. And the Silicon Valley Bank, I, I think we're going to learn, didn't have sufficient assets, um, wasn't practicing good banking. Um, this These bonuses and and stock sell-offs that the top people in the bank did just be, you know the day before it closed didn't give anybody confidence. Now, if that's a regular banking officers can sell their stock, but it has to be something regular, pre-planned. If they're doing it with inside information, that's actually a crime. You know, those things we'll find out in the days to come. What the what the administration hoped is that they could limit it to this one bank. They haven't been able to do that. But fiscal conservatives and some, you know, Bernie Sanders Democrats are, are already saying, why do we bail out the big banks? It's a good philosophical question. We can talk about it another time. But right now, the administration doesn't care. They want to stop the bleeding. They want to stop the hemorrhaging. And and if bailing out the banks is what they have to do, that's what they will do. Well, I mean, the politics is, of this are interesting. I mean, you do have folks on the right who are saying this is a, a bailout, um, shouldn't have happened. You've got some folks on the left who are happy that I think the administration stepped in in the way that they did. You can you can argue that they may not have done it, you know, the way that that uh, you wanted them to. But the politics of this, Carl, are pretty pretty dicey uh, for a lot of folks. And you know, I wonder if the administration is going to find themselves, um, you know, because Biden was touting his his economy, um, but it looks like one of the one of the instigating factors here was the increase in inflation. You had all these, <laughs> you know, had all these banks, Silicon Valley Bank in particular, holding these these bonds, right? And holding them over a period of time, HTM hold to maturity. And, you know, when interest rates went up, they lost their value and suddenly they were, uh, you know, underwater on a lot of these, uh, on a lot of these bonds. And so I think the administration, you know, they're trying to say this isn't a bailout and there's not, you know, no taxpayer money is going to be used for this. That seems to me to be unlikely. I mean, somebody's paying for this somewhere, Carl, and usually it's the taxpayer. Well, it's not even true. I mean, if if the, it is a bailout, what I guess what I'm saying is that the president may not want to call it that, but it's what the American people want him to do. Uh, the Democrats, you know, besides interest rates, besides uh, you know the Fed is trying to control runaway inflation, and these they must you know these regulators must feel like it's whack a mole. There's one problem, and then they have another one. But the Democrats have another line. They're saying Bernie Sanders said said it uh, yesterday, Tom, uh, on Monday. He said, let's be clear, the failure of Silicon Valley Bank is a direct result of an absurd 2018 bank <laughs> Donald regulation bill signed fault. by Donald Trump <laughs> that I strongly oppose. All right. So I mean, it's classic Sanders. But but you know what? He did oppose that bill. And now the bill was aimed at smaller banks. What, what, the, what President Trump said at the time was that Dodd-Frank regulations were crushing community banks and credit unions. He wasn't wrong about that. But Silicon Valley Bank, I mean, $200 billion in assets, that's, that may be small by these mega banks that we're used to, but that's not exactly what 
who that legislation was supposed to help. It was one of the top 20 banks in the country, size-wise. Yeah, but they, they took advantage of the law. So you're, you're going to see the Democrats um, have stricter banking regulations, and I think I think the president will get behind that as well. We have a uh, ran in the afternoon yesterday, Senator, Senator Elizabeth Warren in the New York Times making the exact same argument, which was, this is yeah. Donald Trump's fault. All right, let's talk real quickly um, about Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, both of whom were in Iowa this past. Uh, DeSantis was there on Friday. Donald Trump was there yesterday uh, talking about education. The 2024 race is on, Carl. You know, DeSantis has been packing in pretty good-sized crowds on his you know book tour, whatever you want to call it. Is he making up any ground? I'm looking at the polls. There's a poll today in Pennsylvania. Trump was up 18 in, I think it was morning consult, the national numbers, Trump's extending his lead over DeSantis. What do you think about how this how this primary is shaping up, assuming DeSantis runs, well, which I, I think we, we both think well, he is, just, right? Let's, well, let's stipulate at least this morning for the purpose of this conversation that he's running. Ron DeSantis is running and he's he's already really emerged as the as the top challenger to to Donald Trump. Now, for all I know, Trump will be in Fort Leavenworth by the time oh, come on. the Iowa caucuses are held if the Democrats have their way. You sound like you're an MSNBC host. Yeah, yeah. They don't have me on anymore. <laughs> Shocker. Like, they, don't, they don't really want you to speak in truth to power. Anyway, here's the idea about that. These national polls, I won't say they're meaningless because at this point- They're close um, to meaningless. This, you know, we're political- well, yeah, we're political junkies. Look, there's people who don't know who Ron DeSantis is, Tom. I mean, millions of Americans. He's a governor of Florida. Now he's, he's emerging as a cheerful culture warrior. Uh, he's a prominent governor. But still, Donald Trump is it's a it's a it's a March, a full year and a half before, you know, the conventions. It's a name identification game. What we'll want to know is if Ron DeSantis starts to close the gap in these early states, Nevada, South Carolina, New Hampshire, Iowa, certainly. Because if he beats Trump in these places, remember, Trump didn't lose any of these primaries. I mean, Trump came out of the gate. Uh, you know, he finished second in Iowa. He won New Hampshire. He won South Carolina. No, Trump has yet to be beaten in a Republican primary. If, if, a guy, if somebody beats him, I think those numbers will all be up in the air. Another piece of the 2024 race, Mike Pence, who I think people think is running. Also had a book out, but was speaking at the Gridiron Dinner on Friday night and really got into Donald Trump, said that history is going to judge him harshly for January 6th, that he put uh, Trump put Mike Pence's family in danger. Well, let me, let me read the exact quote. Um, the Gridiron Dinner, for our listeners who don't know, is an insider thing. It's the most insidery thing you can imagine in Washington. It's white tie. Tom and I have been back when we were insiders. <laughs> and... Um, I've been one time. I've been one time. Okay, that's not <laughs> okay. It's it's usually it's considered light entertainment. The the main template is people making fun of themselves for some transgression they committed, real or imagined. Pence did that. He's not anybody. You know, he's not a barrel of laughs, but he he made fun simultaneously of Donald Trump and his own Bible thumping propensities. Uh, he said, "I once invited President Trump to Bible study." He really liked the passages about the smiting and perishing of thine enemies. Uh, and he put it, you know, Mike, there's some really good stuff in here. <laughs> so that's classic right. gridiron. But at the end, but at the end of he it, got serious. near the end of the speech, he said, the American people have a right to know what took place on the Capitol on January 6th. 
But make no mistake about it, what happened that day was a disgrace, and it mocks decency to portray it in any other way. Now, that's aimed at, you know, Tucker Carlson and revisionists in his own party and, and the former president. And then he said, President Trump was wrong. I had no I had no right to overturn the election. Remember when people were saying, yep. yeah, okay, and he went on. And his reckless words endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol that day. And I know that history will hold Donald Trump accountable. End quote. So that's the most pointed thing he said by far, Tom, and put him in another sort of position on a, in, in the in the race if he does run. Well, so so there was a Politico article, and I tweeted about this yesterday morning when I read it because this seems you know it talks about he's at the Gridiron Dinner, and he said this is Mark Short, his former chief of staff and now senior advisor. He said, quote, this was a different audience for him. This is what Mark Short said. He said, Mike's in a different place where he can sort of, he can be sort of free and liberated in ways that I don't think others in the field are. And so I'm not looking at it as to where he is at this moment. I believe he's got a good pathway forward. And then another person uh, who was granted anonymity said uh, that Pence has more room to grow among Republican Party primary voters than a rival like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, which all of that to me just seems delusional. I don't think Mike Pence, you know, regardless of what you think of him as a person or what he was as a vice president, you know, he's at 5% in the polls, I think, on average. This doesn't really seem to me to be a, a groundswell of people out there, you know, waiting to vote for Mike Pence in some of these primaries. So I just don't. I don't understand if he does decide to run what the what the quote unquote path forward is. It's certainly not through trying to suck up to the in you know Beltway media. Well, the gridiron dinner, there were you know three or four votes <laughs> for Mike Pence in that room, <laughs> three or four persuadables. Um, look, Tom, I, I I agree with you. I don't see a path for Mike Pence in the 2024 primary season, and I'm not even sure he's running. He'd like to run, but he's not. He's used that word delusional. Pence is pretty well, pretty grounded person. My guess is he'll end up not making the race uh, for the reasons that you just said. I, I don't I don't see the path. But having said that, I think that he hasn't gotten his due from either liberals or conservatives. I my own view was that he behaved uh, heroically that day and was a real patriot in the same way, really, that Al Gore was in 2000 when he lost this contested election. He won the popular vote. The Clintonistas didn't, didn't descend on the Capitol. But but that it's sort of the template, these two guys, of, what, of peaceful transfer of power. And it's important to keep in mind, Tucker Carlson's making other points on his show, and I think this was partly aimed at Tucker. But I think we can have solicitude for some of the people caught up in the January 6th, you know, who are called insurrectionists, and they've lost their jobs and their houses, and they're, and they're, they're going to prison. Uh, I, I think I think the Justice Department's behavior towards them, we should have a show on that. I think we should do a podcast on that. But having said all that, Mike Pence earned his place in history. And in my view, nobody's going to ever be taken away from him. All right. We'll leave it there. And we'll find out if Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis are going to run. They're going to have to get off the pot, as they say, in the very new future. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder president of Real Clear Politics. And I'm Carl Cannon, Washington Bureau Chief. And this is the RCP Takeaway for Tuesday, March 14th, 2023.